Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast that tries to blend market commentary and market analysis and market predictions with beer consumption and beer analysis uh, and beer rating. Uh, my name is Boaz Shoshan, as ever, and I am joined, of course, by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on this week? What have you been looking at? Uh, good afternoon. It's sunny England this Friday afternoon. It's a climate akin to my home country of Australia. 30 yeah, degrees bo- where I am today. It is it is bloody boiling, as as you best put it. <laughs> but, so it's been a good. I've been it's been a good week. I've had a pretty good week. And uh, looking forward to these beers to take the edge off some of the heat. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, in terms of the uh, so what's going on in the markets this week, it's hard to avoid some of these. You know, some of these issues are there are several elephants in the room. Really, uh, yeah. there was a uh, a vintage advert that was made for Kodak a while back, which uh, and the just the slogan that they used was "Let the children Kodak," and I think that really does sum up what's gone on with that stock this week. Uh, I was actually looking through all manner of these old, old vintage Kodak ads and all, ma- all manner of slogans that you could actually apply to the incredible charts where uh, you know, it just goes up by more than 1,000% in 24 hours, effectively. Uh, really, really incredible stuff. Uh, yeah, Sam, what, what are your, what's your thoughts on all that? Well, you know, I was thinking about how we were going to sort of talk about what's been happening with the markets and what's been happening with... Um, like you say, some of the elephants in the room, the, the most obvious being Kodak. And the, the first beer we're actually drinking is called OG 56. Now, for me, the term OG refers to, I guess, a, a term used uh, in America, probably more than anywhere. Uh, stands for original gangster, I believe. Um, and when you, and it's sort of OG now just sort of more refers to people that have been around a while uh, doing something particular. Um, and Kodak, I tell you what, Kodak's an OG of the camera world, man. Like if, if you want to talk about true OGs in the market, Kodak is, is right up there when it comes to cameras and they've been around a while and what's gone on with that company in the last 10 years is nothing. Well, not even that last three years, three or four years is just nothing short of utter, bonkersness <laughs> i don't think there's any yeah. other way to describe it yeah it's had quite quite a few reinventions you know it's like a sort of a, a company having several midlife crises uh, over the course of 10 years i guess i mean just constantly trying to find a new identity uh though this time it certainly seems to have struck on something that uh, the public are really keen on uh, in terms of sort of, I mean, as you say, they are they are OG. They are OG when it comes to cameras. Uh, is it not the first, very first digital camera was uh, was a Kodak uh, back in the day? Um, and you know, of course, they're uh, they're still made out that they're one of the biggest sort of creators uh, for you know film chemicals. As a, as a reader was writing in for me for the you know for the the, the simple and reliable uh, concoction one would use to make uh, photographic film. They're one of the great pioneers of, of creating that. Uh, but this, what do you make of the entire, the entire thing? So for, the, for those listening, we've got this massive announcement from the White House saying that uh, in order to get, you know, it's part of, part of Cold War II, really. So it's part of yeah. this drive to get uh, basic manufacturing uh, away from offshore and bringing it back to America. Um, and 
so Kodak is now going to start making uh, generic drug inputs, which is you know one of the, the basic building blocks of pharmaceuticals, which at the moment are made mostly in China, uh, and of course that creates a big um, a big reliance and a big um, so a big sort of dependency uh, upon China that uh, has become politically very unpalatable. So similar to rare earths uh, and other critical materials. Uh, the U.S. really wants to get that back on shore. However, so they give Kodak for whatever reason. Kodak is chosen. Uh, they've got. Uh, they do have plenty of skill with chemicals, but with uh, the creation of film, uh, and they give a seven hundred sixty-five million dollar loan mm. uh, to Kodak to to get involved in this thing. Uh, and the day before, uh, there is way way more trading in Ten Kodak times shares. More trading. I think it was thirty times, in fact, um, oh, on the, in go. terms Might of the average. Yeah, um, yeah, it's you know really absurd. Clearly, somebody knew what was going on, and a lot of stuff was, a lot of stuff was happening. Um, and that's and then the day that's the day before, and then when the announcement is actually made, we see you know a thousand percent gains plus. Just a just a wild wild story. Um, yeah, it's 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 real. It's really crazy because you're right, so right like um, in the in the days and weeks before Monday. Uh, yeah, the volume volume in Kodak was nothing because Kodak was doing nothing. They were, they, I mean, they were they still do their thing, like you said, in in sort of chemicals and and they do a few things in the camera space still, but not nothing really. I mean, I think, I think their market cap on um, Monday was like a hundred million or something like that, and then you're right, seven hundred sixty five million dollar loan from the U.S. government to produce. Um, chemicals or, or, or the ingredients needed for some of the COVID drugs or whatever they're, they're planning on doing. I mean, it just, and, and, and the trading all before the announcement is just astronomical. It, I mean, this has got to be one of the greatest cases of insider trading that's ever seen the markets. I mean, there's how else you, there's just no other way to describe what's happened. Um, no one would have seen this coming. And the, the just, if, if Monday's trading volume had been like a hundred thousand shares, then whoever bought them on Monday, fair play to you. Probably just got lucky, but I think it was it was millions as opposed to you know tens of thousands, which was the more regular volume. So someone had a had a leaky ship. Someone told their mates or mates of mates or some trusts, offshore trusts have have bought or or some some senators have found some loopholes. Something's gone on, man, and it stinks. It stinks bad. But the but the question is as well how does how does a how do you give a company with a market cap of about a hundred million that's really doing not much about seven times the company's market worth in in a loan to do this as well I mean surely they could have put that to I mean why didn't they go to Dupont or something like that you know it's I it baff this really is baffling as to why they chose Kodak in the first place. I know I know that there are you know they do things that that can be pivoted towards making these ingredients, but there are plenty of other companies can do that too that are bigger, have greater scale, uh, are more financially sound. Um, so that's it's it's a really weird situation, and it's not the first time that Kodak sort of been able to jump on a mega trend. You know they they launched a cryptocurrency. A couple of years back as well which we'll dig into in a minute but i don't yeah. know what do you what do you make of this situation with the with the loan uh, i think trading? it's a it must be a, a grand example i think of political correct uh, political connections uh, leading to great 
government assistance. So I, I would be, as you say, there are many other companies that could have done this for the US government, uh, but there must be somebody in Kodak or related to Kodak to some degree that uh, has said, hey guys, we could really help you, help you out with this, but we're gonna need a fair bit of money. Don't worry, it's a loan. Um, so you're not just going to be giving it away, so it's going to be all right, but uh, we, we do need some money to help you with this, and we'd be very happy to help you with this. You know, one of the uh, things I've been saying for, for you know, a couple of years now uh, is all about that Cold War II dynamic, where this really is going to create a lot of disruption in equity markets when the U.S. tries to get manufacturing out of China. Uh, yeah. And bring it back to their own their own side. And I've been saying that for quite some time. And I think this is this is an example, though. You know, sadly, <laughs> you know, I'm not so politically connected that I would have known this was going to happen ahead of time, especially with a company like Kodak. <laughs> uh, but this is an example of where this has really happened. It was like Canada yeah. Goose uh, stock getting completely slaughtered when um, you know the Chinese market started boycotting it after the Canadians uh, kidnapped that Huawei. Uh, well, kidnapped. They arrested that <laughs> Huawei. <laughs> Um, and there was just a massive backlash against yeah. Canada Goose because they're from Canada and the Canadians have got her. Um, and you know, Canada Goose relies hugely on the Chinese market as do uh, vast swathes of the, of the luxury brand sector now. Uh, and as a result, as a result, you know, the shares got absolutely, absolutely wrecked. So I think this is another, this is another example of where Cold War II really starting to, uh, to play out a bit. But we should actually go on to our beer, of course, because uh, I have actually poured it out and started sipping a bit here. So as Sam says, this is OG56. And this is uh, manufactured by, well, this is brewed by Bianca Road Brew Company, which is in London. However, it does have uh, one, one strange, um, well, not strange, but it does have one quirk, which you wouldn't see normal, normally, uh, which is the fact that it is a 500 milliliter can. So half a liter in this thing, which is uh, more than more than you would normally expect from a can of beer. It is, uh, I believe, is it six point seven percent? I think uh, in terms of ABV. Uh, let me just see. Six percent. Ah, six percent. Ah, no, I'm not. I'm being more uh, more enthusiastic. There's three UK units in this one can. An interesting design, uh, kind of multicolored uh, metallic pattern uh, behind OG fifty six with the O in Old English type type font i think um and it tastes quite interesting sam what, what's your uh, initial impressions of it uh i'm quite liking it to start with um it is it's definitely got that uh n new england ipa kind of kind of taste to it it um it it, it 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 tastes it tastes like it's a good strong strong uh, ipa um it's, it's you know it's pretty Pretty cloudy. It doesn't pass the see-through test, um, which is good. And, uh, and and so far, it's um, yeah, it's really quite enjoyable. I can't quite put my finger on the actual kind of taste notes out of it just yet, uh, but I'm working away at that. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, quite interesting. Uh, quite refreshing. It's slightly slightly tart, almost sour in a way, um, yep. but it is uh, nice and hazy. Uh, quite refreshing. It's slightly heavy, and it does. I think it tastes more. I would say it tastes stronger than six percent. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I thought it was six point seven for some reason. Um, but I think it's stronger than it. Um, it tastes stronger than it actually is. But still, uh, nice. Um, yeah, nice, nice and refreshing. I would say, um, pretty, pretty good, pretty good uh, to start us off with. I would say. Uh, I think it'll be interesting with a five hundred mil rather than the four forty <laughs> that you normally yeah. get. So you get a bit more, a bit more bang for your buck. Um, yeah, an interesting one. And an interesting one to be to be going forward with, I think. 
It's funny, is it? I like five hundred mil cans. They're they're a little rarer uh, over over here, aren't they? You sort of quite often. Yeah, yeah. We're mil. not we're not European, mate. Yeah, because I, I every time I go over to Holland and and they're. Um, I've got family there and, and every time I go over and they're, you know, they got cans in the fridge, they're like 500 mil cans. And I'm like, yeah, this is more like it. <laughs> Although yeah, to be well, fair, when you go back to Australia, you, you're drinking like 375 mil cans of beer when you go and get a six pack from the, from the bottler. So uh, yeah, yeah, that should be illegal. That, that, that's just, it is, that's criminal. That, that kind of size beer. Yeah. The um, interesting, I've got a, uh, because uh, I, I collect quite a few uh, for a few beer cans and bottles, though I do, you know, chuck. You, you do end up having to chuck a load of them out, even even if you like them initially. But I've actually got one on the on the shelf here, which is a German a German, uh, a German uh, fest beer, uh, and it's a ninety five cl can. So it's like, oh. you know, it's only oh, it's only a few off uh, a liter, um, and that it, it really is. So I think it's not even got a crazy design on it anyway. It's just got you know sort of the standard. Uh, Oktoberfest uh, chick carrying a, lo- a load of beers on it, but it, just the size of it is quite uh, quite impressive. We should definitely do more of those over here. I, th- well, I hear in the in the states because uh, they use uh, fluid ounces and everything. I hear you yeah. get 40 fluid ounce cans, uh, which is an awful lot of an awful lot of beer you can fit in 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 a forty. Yeah, right. Well, have you ever heard of a long neck? Uh, the the word rings a bell, but I don't know what I couldn't tell you what it means. Right, so so a long neck. Well, for me at least, back in Australia, a long neck is a beer bottle that is bigger than a standard size beer bottle. So you often find sort of the more how do I best put this economical brands uh, like Victoria Bitter or Melbourne Bitter or Carlton Draft. Um, they often have, you know, they have multiple size um, beers, being you know your three seventy five mil can or your stubby which is a little bit bigger. Um, but the long neck is a 750 mil uh, bottle. Um, nice. And it is, I mean, when you're a kid, kid, uh, when you're of legal age and you're ready to, to drink um, and you can go and get, get some, uh, some long necks from the bottle, it's the way to go. It's, it's they're there. They keep cold. Um, they're super easy to chill in an ice bucket and they're a bloody great size. So I'm yet to see, proper long necks over here in the UK, but maybe that's, maybe that's a uh, campaign I can get going. It sort of 500 mil cans is maybe the first step. And then the 750 mil long neck bottle to come soon after. Mm. Yeah. The long neck does sound, it does sound, uh, it does have a good name. That's a, it's a catchy, yeah. It'd be good for the brand. I think maybe if even the beer was called long neck, long, long neck beer or long neck ale, I'd be pretty good. The, I could the, have the a long neck, long, the, yeah. The long neck, long neck. Yeah. I'll have a long neck, a long neck, please. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> um, you know, so with, oh no, I was Karen, just going to say, jumping back to Kodak. So um, what's crazy about them is not only have they gone on this pivot now to um, to sort of developing the the ingredients for the COVID drugs, but they've also, like I said before, they bought, they also went down the cryptocurrency route in 2017, 2018, I think it was. And so they released Kodak Coin, and this got yeah, huge fanfare. Yeah, it was, it was like, it, like, so that, that recommendation, that recommendation, that um, release of the Kodak coin itself saw the stock price actually skyrocket uh, yeah. when when that announcement came out. I'm just actually I'm going to try and pull up the chart here and see if I can find exactly when that was because you you can see it on the actual charts. 
I'm going to um, say, is that is that three quarters of the way through 2017? Yeah. That's yes, it I, is. I it is. And the stock, the stock like doubled or tripled off the back of it. Might've even been a bit more than that, to be honest. I mean, nothing yep. compared to what we've seen the last couple of days. Like you said, you know, it went, I think it was up like 200% on Tuesday. And then like intraday, it was like another 550% on that the day after. And then like another 16 or 17% the day after that. And it's only now just on Friday wiped off another 22%, but it's still like 10 X higher than what it was on Monday. So it's just a wild, wild story. But the fact yeah. that they've gone from like camera company to almost failed camera company to releasing a cryptocurrency to almost failing off the back of that now to developing, you know, ingredients for COVID drugs and other um, pharmaceuticals, thanks to a gigantic US government loan. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's such a strange story, but it's so, it's so typical of what the markets, what's going on in the markets right now. It's just, it's a bonkers. It's, it's like the crypto markets from 2017. That's how wild it is. You know, these, you don't see this kind of stock behavior unless it, we're living in some pretty wild and crazy times, which is great though, right? Because I was looking at Kodak on Tuesday and I'm like, wow, 200 odd, 300 odd percent jump up higher. And then I'm like, well, the announcement, yeah, okay, that's, that's, you can see why that's happened. And then I'm thinking, well, so what happens from here? Does it go higher again? Does it go, you know, or is this the level it finds or does it crash back down 50%? What I wasn't expecting was for it to triple and, and, you know, the day after. So that's after the markets had plenty of time uh, to, to sort of digest the announcement. Um, plenty of time to see that there's been this huge rush into the stock. And yet it goes and does that again the next day. That was not, that was what probably perplexed me more than anything was that back to back days, it saw its stock price double and triple and even more so in intraday trading. And I think that's the reflective thing of, of why markets are so crazy right now is that even when a stock can, can triple in a day, investors are still willing to pile in uh, to that play. And I think that's, that's, that's crazily uh, irrational market behavior. Yeah, even when the market has a night to sleep on the idea. Yeah, it yeah. It still decides, you know what? Tripling in a day? Nah, it can do that again. Yeah. yeah it does seem pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, it seems quite foreboding. I mean, if we're, if we're comparing it, uh, and yeah, you know, I think it's a very apt comparison to the crypto market where any, literally any company that had anything to do with, with a crypto or mentioned the word blockchain was going yeah. up by huge degrees. I mean, what was it? Was it Long Island? Or was it, it was a company? Oh, the that, Long Island Ice Tea Company. Yeah, the Ice Tea Company started yeah. getting to, the, you know, started getting to crypto right. mining. I think. And there was, oh, um, I think it was a New Zealand cigar company. Like they just sold yeah. cigars. They, they, they all just added blockchain into their name. Yeah, and they just changed it, and then you know the stock went absolutely ludicrous. Um, it does seem that, that I think it is an apt, apt metaphor. Uh, funnily enough, there's another another vintage Kodak ad where the slogan is "Ready in a flash." which I think is an apt description of how keen Kodak are to change their business to do something else. Um, yeah, it does seem, it does seem really wild. And of course, as we're talking about crypto at the same time, uh, we, we do have to mention the fact that uh, Bitcoin at the time of uh, time of this recording is $11,100. It's been there for uh, you know, uh, more than a day now, uh, which is quite, uh, yeah. quite impressive. It's had quite a rise recently. What would you attribute that to, Sam? Um, 
Uh, yeah, so the the Bitcoin thing's an interesting one as well. So this time last week, uh, I'm just looking at the chart now. So Bitcoin price was about nine and a half thousand US dollars, uh, and as we speak, it's just just over eleven thousand one hundred. So you know, tidy little bump up there in in fiat converted price. Um, you know, it's I think it's a combination of factors. Um, so we're starting to now see. Um, second wave coming of uh, coronavirus outbreaks around the world. We're also starting to see um, certain tech stocks um, pop on earnings and, and shift to get another gear higher. Um, there is, you know, a reasonable argument that, that, that Bitcoin tends to follow the tech sector um, sort of index and, and follow that, that pattern, which you can map out roughly you know to follow you know similar sort of patterns um but also within the crypto space there's been uh, a, a sort of a boom and a bubble within the booming uh industry itself in what's known as DeFi or decentralized finance which over the last yeah. couple of weeks has gone absolutely flat chat knackered crazy and so you know a lot of the yeah, DeFi, codex wild DeFi yeah. is, uh, yeah, codex yeah, that's true. I mean, we talk about the, the, the stock market being akin to sort of crypto at the moment, um, uh, but it's still got nothing on the crypto markets. The DeFi space has just been going absolutely bonkers. Um, and, and there are all these complex and, and quite convoluted strategies to what they call yield farm or to, to earn and yielding returns on crypto. And then you layer that with other crypto and you borrow and deposit to earn and you arbitrage between lending and, and, and depositing positions to, to farm more yield. It, it's super crazy. All, some of it's Ponzi style um, uh, market behavior. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I think that DeFi, the idea of decentralized finance is certainly something that long-term is going to be a real game changer, but what's happening in the space in the crypto market now is, 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 is somewhat of a bubble. Um, and we're seeing, you know, 100, 200, 300, 400% rises in, in a matter of, you know, a day or so. And then, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% crashes off the back of that the following day. And then back up. And so it's all over the shop and it's a pretty crazy complex space. But what happens is that that still, that now brings a lot more interest back into other uh, cryptocurrencies and a lot of the trading pairs to get in and out of these DeFi, um, crypto, uh, are the bigger cryptocurrencies in Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, and what we've also seen is that it's not just Bitcoin that's gone on a quite a run in the last week, but Ethereum as well has also gone on a little fire starter run. It was about 270 US dollars last week at this time. It's now up over 340 US dollars. So you know, Bitcoin is certainly a big driver of the crypto markets and has been, you know, what sort of I think is at the start of a new mega cycle sort of really leading the charge. But there are others, Ethereum in particular, like year to date, I think Ethereum's like up 160% year to date. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of development happening in crypto still. A lot of projects like Ethereum, Cardano and others that are getting to these very large milestones in upgrades to their blockchain and to their, to their code and to how they function and operate, um, which is also driving a lot of the value there as well. So it's as, as equally as interesting and wild a space as the stock markets, which makes for, you know, I think this is really, 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 really good time to be an investor because 
it's risky, yeah, and it's a bit bonkers, yeah. But man, there's so many great opportunities out there if you're sort of willing to take on the risk and have a bit of a punt uh, in in some of these plays. There's some there's some money to be made at the moment. Yeah, it is a. Uh, it does seem like there's an awful lot of activity going on in the space. I mean, it's still. It's still as volatile as uh, as crypto always is, uh, but as you say, I mean there are there is development going on, like there is actual development going on. Yeah, even in yeah. Some, with some of these DeFi uh, schemes, where it's really hard to tell what is actually happening, and uh, whether or not it is as you as you would describe as Ponzi style, uh, rather rather than just straight up Ponzi. But uh, yeah, I get I get. Um, it does seem like there's uh, there's lots of activity. It's always about the. Um, I've always been interested by the projects that could survive the brutal uh, bear market of 2018 um, in the crypto space. So, I mean, if you manage to keep on going and you manage to keep developing during that period, whatever the project was, and you still manage to keep advancing it, uh, you know that you know that the team behind it at least has some serious metal, and they must have some serious belief in what they're actually trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. And does see, and you know there are. There are several crypto projects that have managed to do that, uh, and I, in fact, even recently, I've spoken to some um, some folks in the uh, in the you know in the more mainstream you know the legacy asset management uh, industry uh, on where they were asking me about crypto because they wanted to uh, you know they, they they see that the attraction is definitely there from the millennial generation and they wanted to know more about and um, wanted to know more about it. So they'd read, you know, they'd read a fair bit of books in the space and they were like, they just wanted to really sort of bend their head around um, what, what the crypto space is all about. So it does seem like there is some, there is at least some uh, interest from that level, whether or not they get it past their investment committees and whatever is, is something else. But it was interesting to hear, you know, a, a you know, fund manager uh, who was talking, you know, talking about, you know, this is, this, this is an asset that has a macro tailwind. Which I thought was uh, it was it was interesting to see that. Um, though at the same time, uh, when we were talking about sort of what the fundamentals of crypto, you know, there there is still no, uh, well, not no, but there is still uh, it still needs to go through intermediaries. So they, you know, wh- what is the best way for uh, a fund manager to own crypto? Well, still the default thing to do is to find a custodian who will look after it for you. So there's this. The fund manager's perspective is still runs contrary to what uh, Bitcoin it was was really meant to be. You're, you, this is an attempt to disintermediate the financial system, uh, and fund managers who want to get exposure are using intermediaries, uh, which you know goes it goes against the grain with the idea. But if it's supporting still, um, you know the the actual asset itself, maybe maybe it's all okay in the end. You know maybe it's still still even if it's not in the original spirit. Or Bitcoin, maybe at least it will. Um, it at least shows you that there is interest from a higher level in the space, and they are going to support the, the fiat price uh, in in doing so at the very least. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how it all how it all turns out. Um, I'm almost finished this beer, Sam. Do you want to do you want to give us your rating? Yeah, I um, I've, I've yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky one. I, I mean, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it. It's a, it's a nice beer, and uh, it's it's been very easily. Uh, drinkable it, it it certainly does have a bit more of a punch to it um now i sort of got to the end of it um and a couple of these and you'd be uh you'd be well on your way uh actually a couple of these and you'd be half cut as we uh discussed <laughs> some of the some of these meanings uh, a couple of episodes ago um Indeed. but uh i mean it didn't rock my socks but it didn't disappoint me either at um 
it really for me just sort of sits in that mid-range mid-range category does its job gets you you know half cut but not disappointed to drink either so i think i'd probably give this um i don't think it's worth a b i think it's a b plus for me yeah 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 i um yeah i this is a b minus for me um in fact it might even be tri- flirting with triple a plus um no sorry a plus a um, plus <laughs> yeah not triple a plus that would be brutal uh yeah this is flirting <laughs> with a plus um in fact i actually think i will be it's an a plus it's not it's not bad it's not bad bad uh, by any measure uh, but it it's you know i think the main thing this has going for it is the fact that it's in a 500 mil can not 440 mil so you're getting a bit more a bit more juice a bit more um, bang for your buck yeah it's a bit more yeah it's it's just kind of forgettable i mean it's nice and uh, it does have you know a very strong flavor it's stronger than it tastes uh, well sorry it tastes stronger than it is uh, which I, which isn't isn't the best aspect to have, and it's kind of has got a sort of sour edge to it, which I don't think it really needs to have uh, as as uh, a New England IPA is. Um, OG fifty six, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to give this one an A plus. Uh, I think I think that's my uh, I think that's my rating for it, which uh, which is yeah, I don't know if I if I rated anything on this as a, anything on this uh, on triple B as a uh, as an A plus, no. Sam uh you the pretty mess uh from was that last week yeah it was last week yeah uh yeah you gave that one a a a plus as well yep yeah i'll give this one a plus i think og56 i'm sorry bianca but uh <laughs> very pretty but uh, it's not really working out um anyway um, well, what's our next one sam yeah so the next one's the hop rocket from the western brewery which is in Westrum, I guess. I, I, I don't know where that is. Um, but I'm sure Google Maps will tell me. Uh, this is a vegan, gluten-free session IPA. And straight out the can, uh, you know, I'm looking at this and this, I'm, I'm quite excited to drink this because this is, um, it's, got an, it's got the real sort of amber, uh, sort of deep amber color to it. You can see through to the other side. If I stick the fingers behind the uh, behind the glass, I can see through. It's um, it's a cool little can, you know, very chromy sort of silver. A little you know explosion out of uh, out of the hop rocket name. Um, it's got it's you know like studded pressed metal sheeting kind of uh, design around it, which is quite cool. It's a bit like a, a bit like a rocket, maybe like a Suez rocket you might have seen in the uh, 60s or 70s or 80s or whenever the Suez was first built. Um, but it's a pretty cool uh, design. Looks like a nice beer. I'm yet to have a sip, but uh, I will do so. Uh, both of you had a chance to have a taste of this one. I have not. I have not. I have not poured this one out yet. Uh, but yeah, Westerham Brewery, vegan and gluten-free on, on the label. They are really putting it out there. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's quite. Uh, that's different. Well, you have a sip. Yeah. I've just, I've just had some, and uh, I quite. That's 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 different. It's it's got a kind of almost fruity smell to it. But then when I have a sip, it um, there's actually a bit of toast. I get a bit of toast out of that. Believe it or not, this is a oh lot. My. Yeah, a bit, bit easier for me to find some uh, some taste notes out of that sucker. But that's that's uh, that's that's a very substantial departure of where we just came from with the OG fifty six. That's for sure. Oh well, yeah. I mean, in the spirit of the uh, in the spirit of the 
of of the beer itself. I mean, it's all about the uh, the Apollo Eleven mission on here. So uh, yeah, this will be uh, be an interesting interesting drink. So there has been an awful lot of uh, lunar, well, not lunar actually, Martian news this week, hasn't there, Sam? Yeah. So while we're on the topic of rockets, um, what what's been very interesting, I think is the best word to to describe it, is the fact that three different countries have launched missions to mars in the last three weeks so uh just just this week actually just a couple of days ago now in fact it might have even been on i think it was on wednesday uh or thursday the united states or, or nasa nasa launched the perseverance uh mission to mars which is a a new mars rover which they have said is going to go out to find uh, to hopefully look for ancient uh, examples of life um, and 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 other stuff that they're going to send back to Earth. So they are genuinely of the belief that they might find ancient examples of life on Mars, which would suggest that someone lived on Mars once, which I Is find... actually the wording they that's actually the wording they use. I, 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 for the mission. I, the mission kid you, I kid you not. It's, uh, uh, if, I can, if I can drag up the actual quote. Um, yeah, it's, it's to find ancient, ancient examples of life. Hang on, here we go. Here's the Mars 2020 uh, mission Perseverance rover overview. Uh, here we go. Here we go. The Mars 2020 Perseverance rover will search for signs of ancient microbial 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 life which will advance nasa's quest to explore the past habitability of mars so they are suggesting that stuff has lived on mars yeah that mars was livable in the past that mars was livable in the past which okay maybe they're just talking about bacteria and stuff like that yeah but microbes, that's yeah. But that's 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 what Earth. That's what happened with Earth, right? You know, there was just mm. bacteria and cells and, and and amoebas, and then a bunch of crazy seven odd billion crazy people trying to kill each other. So you know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, yeah. Tell us about the other missions as well, because that's just NASA, right? Yeah, well, that's just NASA. Yeah. So so a week before that, uh, China launched a, a, a rover mission to Mars. And a week before that, the UAE launched their uh, very first mission to Mars as well. Now, all of these uh, rover missions to Mars are expected to land uh, on roughly mid-February 2021. So it's a seven-month one-way trip for these rockets. Um, but I just I find it fascinating that, uh, that three major sort of global players have all launched something to Mars in the last three weeks, one after the other, after the other, all set to land there at the one time, because the last time someone walked on the moon was 1972. And we've not been there yet. We've not put any infrastructure there yet. We've only got the international space station in terms of, you know, real sort of space infrastructure out there aside from satellites and all of that stuff. And yet there's, for some reason, there's this continuing, um, press to explore Mars over and above everything else. And I just find it strange as to why that would be the case 
and to whether or not these rovers maybe have some sort of ancillary purpose rather than just sort of scientific if you kind of catch them adrift. Oh, that sounds very intriguing, Sam. What, what do you think they might be, might be up to instead? Well, I wonder if they think that in, in order for scientifically trying to find, you know, frozen lakes and these sorts of things that they kind of skip the moon altogether and look to put military, uh, military bases on Mars. I mean, (laughs) and just skip the moon altogether. I mean, there's no, I was looking at, uh, there was, there's some information on the Northrop Grumman site. And they were uh-huh. talking about, and they've, they actively say, we've known and, or, or, or expected for a long time that space was going to be militarized. Oh, yeah. And yeah, big I, I get the, like, the UAE and China and the US all within a week of each other. I don't know. It just, it just smells like there's more to the story than just sending a rover up to, to send back, you know, dirt samples. It is, yeah. That is a very uh, an inter- interesting confluence of events. The UAE is that that is an interesting one. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, Middle East, North Africa, you know, the MENA region, uh, going to space. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. Um, just an interesting uh, sort of action to take. I mean, you've seen with uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, UAE's neighbour. They're they're all about trying to get away from oil big time and trying to be trying, you know, through through weight of money uh, to become centers for uh, scientific development, uh, biotech, things like that, yeah. uh, by sheer, you know, sheer weight of dollar bills. Um, and maybe this is a, maybe this is a, a similar thing. But yeah, Mars, it is interesting with the, the Mars bit, but you know, the moon hasn't been completely forgotten. I mean, it was only, it was only last year, right, that China landed on the dark side of the moon, right? Yes, yes, that's true. I mean, they're not, it's not completely... Uh, I suppose we don't know if they're actually doing stuff on the dark side of the moon because it's the dark side of the moon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, what was that? There's a whole thing of you're not allowed to bring um, plants and stuff onto the moon because that, that was a whole... Well, supposedly that was the purpose of the, of the Chinese um, uh, module that landed on the moon was uh, for uh, biological um, sort of experimentation and stuff. And the, there was an issue with humans, uh, biological experimentation of humans on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> well, may, well, not not humans. I think they were just sticking to uh, sticking to the old photosynthesis. I, I, I think it was was it on the Andrew Ma show the other day, or, or Andrew Ma was interviewing a China uh, one of the Chinese diplomats on uh, the BBC, and he and he asked what those where where the trains were going out of um, yeah yeah out of wherever, and and uh, maybe that maybe they're going to the moon. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I did see that interview, um, but I, I'm, I'm very glad that that is getting way more press now. Way more yeah. press. But, but uh, we 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 do, we digress somewhat from what we we're talking about. We have, we have indeed, we have indeed. Yeah, yeah. The it does seem like space. Uh, well, just like last Cold War, space is just another frontier. Um, and you know, it's, it's something that uh, people are gonna they're gonna compete over. Um, that Mars. I mean, seven seven months is it to get to Mars? Seven months. Yeah, a month. Damn, and and and, and the cost as well, like so. The the cost to put these things seven months into space to go to Mars and then you know land on it. That's there's some pretty heavy costs involved. So you don't you don't kind of do this on a whim. You they, 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 there's gonna be they expect there's got to be some sort of payoff there. I mean, yeah, and that, I mean that's, that's a, yeah. I mean, that's why space uh, exploration has stagnated for so long, because it's bloody expensive. Uh, and, you know, that's why, uh, 
you know, with, under under Nixon, uh, all of these, um, you know, an awful lot of NASA's role, uh, which was in further moon missions. Uh, and, you know, there was, uh, I think it was, if memory serves, it was planned as early as the late 1950s when NASA was, um, uh, well, actually it might even be before, before NASA, but uh, some of the scientists who were involved in a lot of the uh, the, the lunar um, explorations, you know, they, they planned, they had a huge timeline as to, uh, you know, moon missions, uh, but they actually had planned Mars missions to just become, you know, they're just the logical next step afterwards. Uh, they had actually planned those really, you know, really early in the, in the first Cold War. And then, of course, the 1970s show up and, uh, you know, the government, uh, you know, at, at this point, Mars missions aren't really going to help us in, in uh, you know, wrecking the Soviets because the Soviets haven't even been able to land on the moon. Um, so uh, and so it was completely shelved. But really, it was um, it, I, I think it was in the 60s uh, that they had maybe yeah, late 50s or, or, or in the 60s where uh, Mars missions were just they were everyone was expecting that to be just the next thing. Like after we've done the moon, well, then we're going to go to Mars. Uh, you know, this was just the, and uh, they were expecting to have done it. And it was in the 1980s, latest, yeah. uh, that they were expecting to have actually managed to, to make it to Mars. Um, and yet here we are now. And, uh, and you yeah, know, we're still just sending rovers out there to, to dig up microbes. Yeah, I wonder if it's, I mean, I wonder if it really is worth, worth the while. I mean, you don't, you don't make progress without, testing and, tr and trying and, and, and doing these sorts of things. You don't, you don't find new industry. You don't develop, you don't progress as, as I guess is the human race without trying to push the boundaries of exploration. You know, if, you know, if, if some of the great explorers had sort of said, ah, you know, it's probably a bit of a economic waste of time to go and look for new lands, then, you know, the, who knows what kind of state the world would be in today probably better actually but um <laughs> yeah i think it's one of those things where something like mars and you know it's it's we find it all easy to kind of picture what's possible there because of the capacity for us to invent and create through science fiction and, and movies and things like that and you know you could there's there's a thousand and one movies that have been to mars and so you know people have this sort of hollywood developed view of what what mars could be like for the human race and maybe it does but that's when you think about the progress that we've made from the 70s and 80s to today and the capacity that we've got to put things like a rover on mars or get to the moon or build an international space station and all that you'd have to think that the reality of real infrastructure going on to somewhere like mars is going to be well in excess of like a hundred years from now um, because the, in the, I think in the world we live in the competing economic pressures of focusing on what is right in front of you, as opposed to what's out there is too great. I don't, I think that what, where the real steps in development with something like Mars come when we're in a global state of economic prosperity, which I think we've really kind of struggled to properly achieve in a, in a broad sense and I'm talking about sort of everyone, not just not just prosperity for the already you know bursting rich, uh, and, and I just don't see that that's happening anytime soon because there's too great a demand for economic allocation to other parts of society rather than to to Mars or, or outer space. So it's an interesting one because there's so much money there, 
There's so much development there. Uh, and there's so much interest there. But I just think there's going to be roadblock after roadblock to actually getting anywhere with it all. You see, I actually look at it from the from probably the opposite side, where you know what we had after the the Soviet Union fell, and we saw ever greater globalization embraced by the U.S. and all of these markets that were, um, you know, that had been, uh, you know, off limits for the U.S. opening up, like you know, Russia and a lot of a uh, lot of Eastern Europe. Uh, and of course, China uh, and uh, some areas of Asia, you know, all opening up and you know, embracing globalization. And you saw a huge, huge prosperity being created uh, in terms of uh, GDP growth and in terms of uh, a lot of these places that were under, you know, living under Soviet communism, which were then allowed you know, now to, uh, to, to earn better wages, unless they were in you know, Russia, where there was the, the whole issue of defaulting on government debt and you know, the rise of the oligarchs and stuff. But just in terms of uh, the global wealth and people being pulled out of poverty um, and, and getting richer, and so uh, you know, greater global prosperity, well, I mean, we had that in a way. Uh, uh, well, we definitely had that to some degree uh, during the uh, the 1990s and in, through through the 2000s. You know, it wasn't just the Western developed worlds that were getting and developed uh, sort of sectors that were getting richer. Uh, you had uh, much, you know, much of the world just in it. If you look at um, uh, the the figures for people living in poverty during that period, in terms of the the total figures, you know, it was there was a huge reduction in. Um, in, in for, for those living in poverty i mean the just in terms of the uh, just in terms of the aggregate number of people in the world who were living in really abject conditions and who couldn't feed themselves very much the, you know there were a lot an awful lot of people started getting richer and started getting out of poverty during that period and it, during that period is the same time really when um you know space exploration starts to stagnate you have uh, you know you have uh, you know the the the, the shuttle crash um, and we, that was when we weren't actually doing much. I think I, I actually see it the other way around, where there needs to be some kind of threat, you know, some kind of danger of not getting to somewhere like Mars first. That's what really gets people to start going to Mars, is when they feel there is actually a danger of not getting there. But, I mean, that is what got us to the moon so fast during, uh, you know, during the... Um, during the first Cold War, it was it was the it was the USSR and uh, the um, the US, and the whole the whole plan was to get, get this sort of moon doggle idea where we can spend an awful lot of money and we'll innovate an awful lot and we'll get there first. Um, and it, it was during that period when all of this progress was suddenly suddenly made. Mm. I think it's during uh, it'll be during a new uh, well during this era now where we've got this uh, US China competition. I think it's then that we we actually stand to see really great advances on that final frontier now, rather than because I think I think when uh, you know I think when everybody's getting richer, I think that's when people are like, well, who cares? You know, why would we care about going to space when we're having such a good time here on Earth? What would be the point? You know, um, yeah. I, I, that didn't happen during the nineties and two thousands, right? I mean, that yeah. people did not care enough. I mean, people love dreaming about it. There are plenty of movies about it. But in terms of you know what NASA was actually getting up to, um, and and what other space agencies were getting up to, uh, I mean, and we did have the what was it Beagle Beagle Two? Do you remember that in the uh, in the two thousands? I remember, I was I was at school at that point, I and mean, we did have that, but it failed, right? Um, yeah, I, I think it, I think when everybody's getting richer, that's when they don't give a shit about space, really. I think it's when there is great you know great power competition 
and people are weaponizing space and you know we need to seize space as our domain uh, and you know you're afraid of uh, well i mean we've discussed it uh, before where you know the the us were thinking up of landmines to put on the moon they were actually trying to design these things just so that some um, some poor cosmonaut who's uh, who's doing his doing his moonwalk and uh, you know it's the last place that you would ever expect to get blown up by a landmine you know steps on one by mistake it's during those periods i think that these great advances are actually made um so i'm i'm in a way i'm i'm on the state of the world but i'm very optimistic as a result on on things exploration i think yeah it's i think, when the, yeah, I, it's think, I, think I think you're right yeah I, I think i actually you know what i i actually do think i agree with you on that because and that and that's probably why we've just seen three weeks of three consecutive uh mars launches because i mean granted china and, U, and us have already have already sort of gone there but this is probably just a follow-up to to an inevitable let's let's be the first country to send a human to to mars um, yeah much much in the same vein as as like you said sort of the soviets in the us yeah. um, and if it's only i say only but if it's only seven months one way uh i mean it's still a bloody long trip for anybody that's going to put their hand up but imagine being the neil armstrong of today and being the first human man woman or 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 dog or whatever to to get to them get to mars and walk on mars or walk on the bring back some red red dust on those those shoes i mean imagine who can put the who gets to put the the flag yeah flag. Imagine that you find the country that gets to do that um, absolutely yeah, that yeah. I mean that, and not only that, the first country to put a flag by a human on Mars, you you don't ever take, you can never take away being the first. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like uh, you know, you know, in that sort of interim period, uh, you know, Russia put, put a, a massive, I think, it was like it was reinforced steel. It was even better. Yeah, it was a titanium Russian flag, and they put it, um, they put it somewhere very deep underwater. I think around the North Pole. So they actually planted it in, you know, very deep. They had to shine a light on it to show it was there. You know, it was on the ocean floor that they 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 put this thing. Um, and you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's a, but it's a real, you know, that that's kind of the half. You know, it's like, it's like okay, we're 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 you know we're flexing that we're Russia here, but it's nothing like going to another planet. You know, and putting it put it putting one down there. That would be, yeah. uh, you know, be, it'd just be really wild. That's the ultimate flex. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. The, uh, yeah, and it does. Uh, it does tie in line with this with this hop rocket. I must say, yeah. Sam, this, this tastes damn strange. I would say. Yeah, it's. I. It's, it claims to be a session IPA, but you. This is not a session beer. Um, I would not want four of these in a row. I'm struggling with one. It smelled <laughs> interesting, and it had some. It had some really funky flavors to go on there, but it's. It's sitting pretty heavy uh, for me. I mean, what's what's the actual uh, alcohol ABV on this? 4. See, 3%. the alcohol is four point three. It's it's pretty light, and yet it tastes heavy. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm, it, it so tastes chewy. Yeah, I, I I get what you're saying there. Um, yeah, it's got it's got it's got a lot of that about it. I. I I'm I, I'm sorry, Western Brewery. This is I, I'm gonna have some. We'll have some more from your brewery, but I'm really I'm not a big fan of this at all. I quite dislike this actually, and I'm gonna give this a double A rating. Oh damn, damn! 
So much potential delivered so little. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, um, so here we are, we've got this. First brewed in 2019 to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the launch of Apollo 11. Ah, Apollo 11. Yeah, I mean, so this is, you know, it's like that watch. What is it? Is it a Speedmaster that Omega makes that uh, Neil Armstrong was wearing on the moon? Um, yeah. And every, like every couple of years, they release a special lunar edition. They're always just trying to cash in on being that watch that made it onto the moon. And it looks like the, you know, the, the brewery and Westram are, are trying to do something kind of similar with the an anniversary one but i must say um yeah this is i mean it tastes very interesting but it is it sits heavy and it tastes damn weird i mean if they're drinking this on the moon uh i really think they're going to need to offer something else to try and uh, try and entice people over you know yeah bit disappointing <laughs> <laughs> in terms of in terms of my rating for this i think um let's see a double line. um which is it? You know, it isn't. Uh, it's not a great rating. Um, no. I think I. Yeah, I think I will also give this a double A. I won't give it a minus, but uh, yeah, this is a, this is a double A as well. Um, now we are uh, we are running pretty uh, pretty hard on the timestamp. Do you have any sort of closing remarks you would like to like to give on this? Uh, this week, no, not really. <laughs> Just be be, <laughs> wa- be wary and cautious when Kodak pivots for a third time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we should probably speculate on what Kodak are going to decide they're going to do next. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, space. Well, Kodak space, will yeah. launch a satellite into space. Yeah, Kodak Mars, the the Kodak Mars mission. I'm uh, yeah, I'm down for that. Uh, I think that'd be good. Oh, and uh, and we should actually note uh, we did do a competition of the last uh, couple of podcasts where Correct. a one, one lucky listener uh, who managed to uh, send in what our favorite beer was to our Twitter page. Uh, if they sent those in, uh, that they would uh, they'd get our next case of beer. And we are actually running low on the beer, so that it will be uh, it will be quite soon when we'll buy a new case of beers for future episodes. Uh, but yeah, congratulations to to the uh, to the winner. We have selected one. They will be in contact. Uh, we, they will be contacted soon, uh, and we'll uh, we'll buy them our next batch. Um, and we, I think, we should do uh, more of these competitions in the future. Uh, I think we'll find some uh, another twist that we could maybe do. Uh, but we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that post. Uh, well, in the in the next couple of weeks, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think that's uh, I think that sums us up for this week. Uh, if you're listening listening to this, uh, thank you uh, thank you very much for listening to it. Hope you're going to have a good weekend or you're enjoying it already. Uh, we have uh, reviewed some beers today. They're not not the best beers, but we not should great, be not great today. Some better ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, and there we have it for this episode. That was episode eight of Booze, Booms, and Busts. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next time.